20 years ago, I got an airplane in Charleston, South Carolina, and flew to Florida. Then I got on what is called a KC-135. It's an air refueling tanker. And I went to the war in Kosovo, and I was stationed in the south of France. So when I read about the 20th anniversary being this spring of that 78-day air campaign that the NATO allies conducted. And because we refueled them, we knew the brutal pounding they were taking, the Serbs. But yet, as the BBC headline read this morning, the war that will not end. The reason I bring this up is because in one of my points, my second point, I'm going to talk about the Hebrews, the Israels, the disciples, what we call the lost cause of history that they live with. In other words, their view, what defeated nations tell themselves to make life livable. Kosovo represented for the Serbs their great military defeat, get this, in 1389 by the Ottoman Empire. So the wounds that are still alive today in Kosovo, because the Albanians that live there who are probably 90% Muslim, represent the people who had defeated the Serbs. Now, Both countries, because of the lack of reconciliation, can't get into the EU, can't get into NATO, can't get into the common market. This is an unresolved conflict that everything their leaders try to do, this view of their history prevents them from reconciling, from seeing the ability to get along with those neighbors because they've been told that. And I'll end with one last story that you may have seen in 2018 in the, in the World Cup. I don't know how many of you, I didn't, but I, I know this from the story this morning. When Switzerland played Serbia, they had two Serbian players who had grown up in Switzerland score goals And after they had scored the goals, they did this. And that's the sign of the double-headed eagle for Kosovo, for the Muslim people. And they did that twice. On the world stage, the people in Kosovo were just so excited. The Serbs were so angry. They got FIFA to find the players for doing that. But the whole world saw that there is this dispute because of what they believe about their past and their unwillingness and inability to come to deal with it. Now, lost causes are all over the world. But yet, in this context of the Hebrew, Israel's, the disciples' view of it, you have what is a once-in-a-lifetime event in the verses before our, chapter, before our sermon chapter, or sections, 
It's about the transfiguration. You see, the two verses that we're going to look in are in the shadow because of the light of the, of the clouds and the light that shone on his face. Because in the earlier verses in chapter 17 of Matthew, it says, He was transfigured before them and his face shone like a sun and his clothes became white as light. Some disciples saw God do something very special. Something that they were told not to tell them until his death and resurrection. But you see, as much as that transfiguration is important, what the father said about his son is also important. And when he was speaking, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. He's the son of God. Listen to him. See, if we want that closer walk with, 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 with thee, with Jesus, with the Father, we have to be willing to listen. Now, it's interesting to me that in last week's sermon, it was in the shadow of Jesus' question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Peter's answer is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they knew who he was. But is it knowing who he was that was real? We'll look at that in a little bit. You see, this son of man's name that is here in Matthew um, 17.22, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Using that phrase, son of man, which is Jesus' most popular self-description. In Matthew, he uses it 28 times in the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he uses it 69 times. It's a word, it's a phrase that comes out, but where does it come from? Now, the Jewish people would have known it came from a, a, a vision and a prayer in Daniel, in Daniel 7. And see, that's why these clouds and lights and all of that come together when it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw... In the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came like one, like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. See, what we need to look at when we hear that and we read that in Daniel chapter 7, this is one of those big mile marker posts, those verses that starting in Genesis 12, when he says he's going to bless all the nations, and you see these verses that keep reminding us this, of these promises, and the Daniel 7 is one of the loudest in the prophets. There are Psalms, 
come to the New Testament, you've got Matthew 28, you've got Pentecost, that goes to then what I think of as at the end of this journey, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, or verse 6, and between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. In, in praise of the Lamb. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people of God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So you have this spectrum of verses, starting with the blessing of the nations, going through with the Son of Man, and that Son of Man illustration with the nations and the worship that's there, that then is revealed again, both in the Transfiguration and in Jesus' constant reference and questions to them. Now there's two verses we're going to look at at the end, but I want to share them just to show you how important they are out of Matthew. Early in Matthew, in chapter 9, verse 6, it says, but, you, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Son of Man forgives sins on earth. Matthew 20. And this is one that just humbles me. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. <clears throat> You'll see how the different descriptions that Jesus uses the Son of Man. And see, all of these descriptions, all of these self-descriptions, Jesus saying, this is who I am, should help us get closer to him. The more we know about him, the more we know about his sacrifice and his love and his service. Now, in the passage, the response was they were greatly distressed. See, when you look at some of the commentators and you think about it, and you think about the context, and, and I... I you know by now, after a year, that I talk about context a lot. See, I think you can't look at the ministry of Jesus, of his self-revelation, of all that he did, without understanding that the people in Israel were looking for a political solution against Rome. They had had failed attempt after failed attempt. What after, happened after Christ was raised and the church got started? 70 AD, they rebel, and, and what's left? We have a friend who took a picture of the Wailing Wall. Some of you may have been to the Wailing Wall. The only part of the temple that's left, of that town of that time. They wanted a political solution. They saw that's where their future and their well-being were. This idea, this lost cause that... They look at Daniel 14 and they only see part of it. 
He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and they aren't willing to listen to him talk about what the kingdom of God really is in the Gospels. See, they think that the way you solve my problems is a political way, is a power way. That's what politics is about. It's about power. So when Christ comes back against the power perception, the power dream, that the kingdom of David and the glory of Solomon will be restored somehow, And Jesus says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. See, what does Christ preach to his disciples about himself? That he's going to die. That he's going to be resurrected. See, that's not political. That's not power. Except when you think about it, having power over death, isn't that... I mean, that's just Harry Potter, the first volume you know, if you have power over death, you got power. But the death has to come. He'll be handed over to the hands of men and they will be killed. He will be killed and he will be raised on the third day. Now, I'm going to go back to the two verses I opened up earlier from Matthew. Look at his death. Look what he teaches us about his death in Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. See, it's not to come out on top. See, they're used to thinking of power that you're in charge, that people take care of you, that they do this, that all your needs are taken care of. But he says, no, I came to be a servant. Remember the passage that I read from Isaiah 53 in the assurance of pardon? All that he did for us in Isaiah 53, that description after description after description of God laying the sins on him, that we might be healed, that we might be forgiven. But what's at the end of this Matthew 20, 28 thing? To give his life as a ransom for many. That's one of the ways, because it's not the only way. There's other ways that Jesus tells us about his death. That he is going to be a ransom for many. Now remember the verse that I read that had that idea of ransom in it? From Revelation? That he would be a ransom for nations, (laughs) tribes, language groups. That he would pay the price. That he has paid the price for my sin, for your sin. And see, then when you come to the idea that he's going to die and then be resurrected, look at what it says in, in, you know, we have this verse from Matthew 9, verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He wanted people to know that one of the things he could do was forgive sins. Now, we look at these two passages and say, why can he he forgive sins? Because he was the ransom. 
See, we live in a world that is, people are anxious, people are lonely, and oftentimes it is connected to sins that they have committed. People knew that about me and they wouldn't like me. If people knew I thought that way, people wouldn't like me. We shame ourselves, we give that, rather than giving them over to God and say, change me. If Christ has ransomed me, bought me out of the captivity of sin, Think about that positive, that powerful image of being ransomed. You know, how many modern adventure movies or thrillers are about people being ransomed because they've been kidnapped for some reason and they're ransomed because somebody cares and comes through? But he gave his life as a ransom. Now, the New Testament uses about five different categories to describe that we won't get in today to describe the death of Christ. But this image of being ransomed, of taking our place voluntarily. Remember I said that these three sermons that we're looking at in the, in the Matthew here at the beginning, the main thing is Jesus says, this is what's going to happen to me. This is why I came. To die and to be resurrected. And that death in this verse, in Matthew 20, 28, to give his life as a ransom for many. See, one of the things in that verse, you know, it says for many, is that that's why we can go out and offer his ransom to the world, to the nations. You see, one of the things about what God is doing, starting going back to the Genesis 12, with the blessings of the nations, all the way through the ransom people of the nations in, in um, the book of Revelation. See, we have to remember that it's all for the nations that we can offer it to anybody. You know what's a scary and hard thing about that is that that means I may have to forgive somebody that did something to my family. I may have to forgive someone who did something to me that was horrible because I've been ransomed. For a lot of us, the, the, the quintessential illustration of that is Corey Tamboom meeting a guard from the prison camp that she was in who had become a Christian. It blew her mind, it blew her heart. That God was challenging her to say, who's in charge here? Are your feelings, are your anger, are your whatever? Or is it my ability to change whoever I want to change? I think that's one of the reasons why they were hesitant is because it's all of a sudden they'd have to love a Samaritan. Love a Roman, a Greek, an Egyptian, an Ethiopian. We always, always have to see that the gospel is beyond us and our people. Otherwise, we, so we just take it and we want to wrap it up in our wrapping paper rather than let God reveal it through us 
that it's for the many. Do you understand why when I, I, I look at this and I say, you know, people want a political solution, but what Jesus knew until there was a sin solution, the political solution would always be an open wound. And in some families, unless there is a sin solution, they will always have an open wound in their family or in their own lives. Jesus comes back, and he's going to do it next week. I'm I'm getting you ready for next week. He's going to say it again. I mean, you know, I think there's something about, you know, you have to say something at least three times before people begin to get it. But when we read this, when you read this, and you hear Jesus say, I have to die for you, and then I'm going to be resurrected, See, unless we, sometimes we get stuck on the death and we forget the resurrection, or we look at the resurrection and we forget why he died. So in the Matthew 20 and in the Matthew 9 passage, that he's a ransom in his death, and when he's raised, even more it shows that he has the authority, the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Do you see the practicality of that in your life? In all of our lives? That my sins are forgiven because the Son of Man says, your sins are forgiven because I'm a ransom for your sins. I know that in today's world it is hard for people to talk, to think about sin, because it's just... It never seems to get solved. People battle with sin. You know, when I look at what might happen in, in, in Kosovo, between Orthodox Christians and Muslims... And how families have told the stories to create this lost history. And sometimes in our own families there can be the creation of a lost history. Of telling of stories to point the finger at somebody else. I didn't promise Celeste I wouldn't do this, but we have discussions about my illustrations. Does anybody care? (laughs) This is a personal illustration for me. On my birthday in 2003, my mother gave the two of us a trip to Scotland to go back to where the McFarlands started. Found a fisherman, farmer, who for 20 pounds rode me out to our castle, our island. But you see, the castle is a ruins because it was built by a bunch of archers who now were trying to defend it against Cromwell's cannon. You were on the wrong side of that war. 
Sometimes when you know these things about your family, you go, you know, people make choices and then things happen. There are other parts of where McFarlane's were in British and Irish and American history that it's like, what do you do? See, in America, we have, I don't know if they, you guys do this or not. You have a longer history, so you probably can't afford to do it. We're so short compared to you. Pearl Harbor, never forget. 9-11, never forget. But see, if you grow up with that kind of view of history of never forget, where does forgiveness come in? Where does reconciliation start? When you think about your own family history and things that have happened, In the South of the United States, we, we joke because it's so painful and true that sometimes in some families, anger is another member of the family that's always there. How do you forgive? See, unless we believe that Jesus Christ really has forgiven our sins, that I am a forgiven sinner because he ransomed me, none of those wounds are going to heal. They're going to be scabs that just get bumped and started again. That infection comes. We look around and, and there are so many things in the world that, that could explode. That a new generation of violence, 20 years after something that we thought was solved, is not solved. So when you hear Jesus say, I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. I want you to think about it in terms of his ransom and his authority to forgive sins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, you've made so many things clear, but yet, Father, it, it, it just is hard. We want to be forgiven, but yet sometimes it's hard for us to forgive. Father, we see how the world needs to know that their sins are forgiven and then to begin to forgive each other because of all the hatred and hardship that it creates. Oh, Father, families need to forgive. They need to be healed. They need to know that they can be part of the ransomed family of God. But today, as we walk away, Father, I want in all of our hearts to hear that Jesus has the authority Because he's paid the price to forgive our sins. I pray that everyone here would know that their sins are forgiven. To not walk under the weight and shame and hiding that sin brings. Because Jesus, you did pay it all. I pray this in your most holy name. Amen.